Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Threepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. What's good? What's going on? Welcome back to another episode of the Hogshaven Podcast, powered by SB Nation. You can find us at hogshaven.com, at hogshaven on Twitter and on Facebook. I am your host, Molly Marge. More Force. You can find me on Twitter at Let Maul Tell It. Do not forget to you. Um, yeah, uh, about that, about that game, man. Twenty points for the Washington Commanders 37 points <laughs> but the San Francisco 49ers man Washington falls to 7-7 and 1 after a, a, a pretty thorough beatdown in the second half for the San Francisco 49ers man it wasn't pretty in that second half it was a very close game really um for a good portion of the game but Washington could not get any stops um, there were some inopportune situations where the coach decided to, you know, go for it one time, and then you have two turnovers in that second half. That really doesn't help Washington's case at all. Um, and then you have the onside kick, who, which contributes to a quick score as well for the San Francisco 49ers, um, ultimately being scored, outscored, excuse me, 30-13 to 13 in one half of football. 30 to 13 and one half of football from uh, a team in the commanders who, who boasts one of the league's best defenses. I think one of the things for, or the theme for um, Washington today, or I guess Saturday, because I'm recording this on Sunday. Merry Christmas to everybody. Um, stay safe. Hope you enjoy your family time. Hope, you know what I'm saying? Everybody's well. Um, do not let the game, <laughs> upsets you too much, right? Um, but with all that being said, um, I think the game with the Niners and Commanders is like a very, very typical or, or um, easy display of classes, the separation, right? You got a team in the San Francisco 49ers who have Super Bowl aspirations, and then you have a team in the Washington Commanders who are just trying to find their way and get consistent playoff bids. <laughs> They're trying to be good enough to make the playoffs each and every year under Ron Rivera. And then you got a team in the San Francisco 49ers who are at the point where they're talking about Super Bowl. And these two teams clash Saturday afternoon for a very big spot for both teams. San Fran is still fighting for that two seed. 
Washington's fighting to solidify the playoff spot. And the difference in clashes takes over. Um, obviously, you know, you look at the offensive line for the commanders. Um, Charles Leno gave him some pressures. Um, he actually gave up one sack to Nick Bosa. The right side, uh, Cornelius Lucas gave him some pressures. He gave up a, a sack to, to Nick Bosa. And that one led to a turnover, a strip fumble, right? Those are only two sacks to Taylor Heineke on the day. But Taylor Heineke was under duress on occasion. And it's crazy, right? Because you look at this game and you're thinking, if Taylor Heineke is under duress, he ain't about to have no opportunity to throw the football. He's not about to have anything downfield. He's not going to be able to escape the pocket. It's two things, right? First thing is, Taylor Heineke had a hell of a first half. Hell of a first half. And if I could pull up my notes for a second, um, Heineke was 8 for 11 for 89 yards, one touchdown to Jahan Dotson. That's simple, right, if you look at the numbers. 89 yards and a half ain't good football. But 89 yards and a half where you're 8 for 11, one touchdown, and the score is 7 to 7, where you could have had a huge opportunity to Jahan Dotson on the first possession of the game. I One of the keys, right, if you all remember from the last show, Taylor has to be aggressive. Like, you cannot allow the defense to dictate how they're going to play to you. And even if they try to, right, back them up. And by backing them up, that means you take those solo shots. You take those individual shots. You have to get the ball downfield. And he connected on several occasions that Jahan Dotson dropped. That wasn't on Taylor. It got right into Jahan's chest, and it could have been a touchdown. The cornerback got lost. That was a touchdown. Hell of a play on the first the first possession of the game. Ultimately, they go three and out, right? Um, and then you look at uh, later in the game, uh, uh, you got a couple deep passes again. Jahan Dodson gets uh, a connection for like an intermediate pass. I can't remember like how the setup was, but then you get Terry McLaurin over the top. He makes an elite adjustment to the ball. Um, ends up catching it above the shoulder, shoulder length level, um, and it goes for uh, a, a huge play, 51 yards, right? Um, but Taylor Heineke, for the most part, up until <laughs> up until the point where he got benched, right? Um, that's kind of where the conversation has come in. Um, you get a strip sack, which, I mean, come on. Like, two weeks in a row. I really don't... It's hard to sit here and say that it's Taylor Heineke's fault, right? This one even even clearer than last week because Ron last week said that he thought Taylor should have got the ball out quicker. This week, you're talking about a situation where, um, you know, Cornelius Lucas got beat so quickly, like, the ball is out before he even has a chance to throw it. So, you have that fumble, and then you have... Uh, the interception where it's like, all right, I don't know what's going on, but you need to get him out of here. Uh, thinking from Ron's perspective, I don't know what's going on, but you need to get him out of here because the game is going downhill at this point. Um, we have lost control of the fact that it was just a 14-7 to game, and now uh, we are approaching a blowout territory. Again, 30 points in one half of football is just incredibly incredibly hard to talk about or insane to talk about knowing the type of defense that Washington had or has. Um, so that's the first thing. Um, 
but yeah, Taylor Heineke. Uh, Ron Rivera said he was going to make a switch. Um, because, well, matter of fact, let's go ahead and play what Ron Rivera had to say about the switch itself, and then moving forward at the position for the next two weeks. Let's go ahead and play that. One, one thing we were going to throw the ball, and we didn't need them to just tee off on the guy. So we wanted to, to give Carson a shot and let him throw the ball around a little bit and see where he is. And just reflect on that. Is this Carson going forward? or No, we're going to evaluate the tape. We'll talk about those things, and uh, I'll make a decision next week. I'll make it early, too, because whoever's going to start is going to get the chance to work. All right, so there was Rivera on the quarterback quarterback decision. Um, so I got a couple of things that I don't understand from this because I don't think that – and Ron Rivera actually acknowledged outside of that question that, you know, some of the things that happened to Taylor wasn't on Taylor. So keeping that in the context, when you look at the timing in which he was benched, just has me asking questions because I don't understand. At that point, the route is on. But his reasoning behind it, saying he didn't want Taylor to kind of get, you know, beat up back there, so you put Carson in. I don't think that's a solid enough excuse or reason. And, and again, I'm not, like, I want to be clear when I say things like this. I'm not sitting here saying that, you know, Ryan is trying to, well, he does try to manipulate the media sometimes. So, and he's he, he's done that in the past. But for this particular answer, again, when I said the pressure was on Taylor throughout the game, and he delivered on several occasions. He completed a couple third and longs. And it's kind of crazy because we talk about how Washington never sets them up, themselves up in, in situations where they can, or they have a hard time avoiding third and longs on most, on most days. Um, and they found themselves in third and longs today, and they somehow converted. Um, so kudos to them in that specific aspect. However, when you look at this situation and in the timing in which Carson Wentz was benched, you gave him nine minutes in the fourth quarter, not even the full fourth quarter, right? But we knew heading into this game that Taylor was on his last legs. And if Taylor didn't start out the gate on fire, he was going to get replaced. He did start out the gate on fire. He did have a solid first half, right? At one point, down 14 to 7, Washington decided to go for it and sneak the football. <laughs> sneak the football. Uh wait, was it 14 to 7? Let me double check for a second. Let me double check. Um it was where's the downs? Yep, 14 to 7. 14 to 7, they decided to go for it uh inside their own territory at 34 yard line. And at that point, the route is on. Uh they end up scoring on the next drive, right? Um, I don't have a problem with them going for it on fourth down in that instance. And I'm gonna get back to Taylor. I mean, excuse me, Carson. I'm kind of, you know, I'm kind of everywhere. It is a post game thing. We got a, we got a few things to talk about, including Chase Young, who I thought felt really comfortable. Who I, who I liked seeing him out there. Uh, he also took some additional steps than what he was expected to. So that's good as well. Um, like pure example right there. I'm all over the place. <laughs> but back to the situation. I don't have a problem with them going for it on fourth down in that instance. At the 34-yard line, I don't have a problem with them going for it on fourth down on the 17-play drive that yielded zero points. (laughs) I asked this question on Twitter. I said, how many, like, is there a way to track how, who leads the league in 
the longest drives on the season, the amount of longest drives on the season, like 10 plus play drives, right? How many teams are up there in that amount and who leads the league in that amount that has resulted in zero points? Washington has to be number one. They have to be number one. <laughs> it's just, it's crazy. Um, but yeah, I don't have a problem with them going for it on fourth down in that instance. Uh, so let's start from top to bottom. Um, I don't like when you rush Brian Robinson three straight times. I, I, I have it. I, I find it really hard to believe that people are upset that Antonio Gibson was in on fourth and goal at the one yard line. Fourth and goal at the one yard line after Brian Robinson ran it three times. Three straight times they ran it <laughs> with Brian Robinson. Right? And you get to fourth and goal at the one yard line and you use Antonio Gibson. And people find that problematic. Antonio Gibson is a red zone. Like he is a touchdown magnet inside the five. He has always been that case. And I don't want to like be naive to the fact that Brian Robinson is a power back. Well, excuse me. He is a he is he is their power back. Um, and I, I know there's kind of no difference in what I just in the two distinctions, but I just want to say like Brian Robinson is more than a power back, is what I'm getting at. Um, uh, but he is their power back, right? And um you, you think about those things and you sit here and say, I uh, like my eyes with one yard to go with the best power back that we have. But you look at Antonio Gibson, who has been known for finding a way in the end zone inside the 10 yard line. And people are all of a sudden scoffing at the idea that Washington put him in uh, fourth and one when you had to have it instead of Brian Robinson, who just ran the ball three straight times. Like Antonio Gibson has a reputation, and all of a sudden, because Brian Robinson is here, everybody has a problem with Antonio Gibson getting the ball at fourth and one. No, it don't work like that. Like the 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 way people are so quick to discredit Antonio Gibson's presence at the goal line is actually quite shocking to me. Like I can't believe that that is a real thing. <laughs> I really, I genuinely cannot believe that is a real thing. So. I don't have a problem with them going for it on fourth down, fourth and goal, excuse me. I don't have a problem with them using Antonio Gibson on fourth and goal either. Like, everybody legitimately who are upset, like, I just vehemently disagree with you. Um, and then the fourth down uh, inside their own, thir- on their own 34-yard line, I don't disagree with that decision either. I think it's ultra-aggressive because at 14-7, you had shown to that point, right, um, you had gotten, excuse me, let's be clear. Um, you're just gotten them off the field with a punt, three plays, negative seven yards punt. So there is some riding confidence in the fact that your defense can stop these guys. I mean, look, it's 14 points in the third quarter. You have allowed 14 points in the third quarter. I mean, uh, going midway through the third quarter, excuse me. So I understand the sentiment of, of, or the people who believe like pundit in that situation works well. And I'm I'm not sitting here saying that I'm 100% in favor of them going forward. I can see both sides here. I truly do. But if you're going to make that decision, I think that you have to understand the situation. 
right? You have to understand that this offense, especially if you give them a short field, is very potent. They have a lot of dogs up there. George Kittle is like, little do you know, he took off, right? He took off in that second half, right? Um, and they can score at a moment's notice. So if you make this decision, it's not about hurry up for me. I understand that you want to catch the offense, I mean, the defense off guard, but what do you think they're going to anticipate? I think they're going to anticipate a quarterback sneak. Now, all I'm saying is take your time because it is a very important situation. And Ron Rivera got a little antsy, right? He said, hey, punt team, get off the field. Like you saw when the camera glanced over to him for a second. Punt team, get off the field. Like, come on, get back. Y'all go. Like, I just think that this is a situation where it's not about a quarterback sneak. Even if you did take your time and say, we want to go quarterback sneak, find a way to dress it up. Or find your best play. Because if you don't get this, the game is over. Like, situate, or, or contextually speaking, with all that much time left in the game, the game isn't over. But 21-7 or 17-7 to San Francisco 49ers, the league's best defense. You gave them a double, a two-possession two lead, right? They're at home, right? They're playing good ball. They're getting pressures to your quarterback. Ultimately, they'll get a strip sack. Right. You need to take everything into account and say, I am not going to allow this team um, to, to, to I'm not going to allow this team to walk away with this one as easy as they could. So I'm going to make sure I take my time and get the best play in. Ultimately, um, that's that's kind of how things worked. It didn't work out on both sides. Um, you know, it is what it is. Uh, I'm not too mad at that. But as we go back to the quarterback position. Um, I just want to understand or, or get people to understand that when Ron said what he said, that he didn't want the, the Niners teeing off on Taylor, I just didn't agree with that. It didn't make sense in the, in, in the context of the game because if Taylor was able to survive the first three quarters, three, three, three quarters and a half, I guess, three and a half quarters, then what tells you that he can't play the last quarter and finish that out when he hasn't really had a terrible game? He had two turnovers late. One was a strip sack that he that was out of his control, and then you had the bad interception. Um, those are two things, but at the same time, um, I, I think ultimately, while I'm over here micro analyzing the situation, um, I'm, I'm bleeding all this out to say Ron Rivera ultimately was just waiting to go back to Carson Wentz. He was waiting for the moment, and I think the two turnovers opened the door. He said that he doesn't know what the decision is at quarterback moving forward. Um, I think he knows what the decision is. Again, because he was waiting for that moment, that door to open where he can put Taylor in, I mean, excuse me, Carson in and keep it pushing. So he said he's going to look at the tape. And truthfully speaking, as critical as a lot of people have been over Taylor Heineke, right? If you watch my film breakdowns, you know that there are several things that he missed. He even missed one on the touchdown to Terry McLaurin, right? Jahan Dotson's open in the in the back of the end zone, middle back, uh, running a post route. And his first read instead of Jahan was Taylor. I mean, excuse me, was Terry. Terry. So he completely misses a wide open Jahan Dotson. Um, and if that was a disaster play, which it could have been, 
like given where he threw it and in the traffic around Terry, that that probably could have got him benched. Back to the point. Um, after you review the tape and see that, you know, Taylor really had a strong game for the most part. Um, and, and, and speaking right now, like, you know, when I look at the tape, I may be like, all right, well, there was actually some more things he left on the table. I'll concede that part. But I think that he'll see that Taylor had a good game. And I think that he'll see that Taylor had a good game and still go with Carson. I think it's really that simple. He wants the last two games for Carson. There is no point of re- re- telling us he's going to review the film when I think we, when I think he knows the answer and he's going to give the answer away very quickly into the week. Um, so there is that man. The defense. Uh, it was kind of surprising how they allowed six six scores on seven possessions in the first in the second half. Granted, they did have some short fields, but um, at the end of the day, you are a top five defense heading into the game. Um, and you actually, this isn't like a, 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 a fake top five defense, like the 2020 year, like you are facing quality talent, quality rosters in terms of like starters, you're facing that. Like this isn't a fake, a fake top five team. This isn't a fraud. Um, so for them to get dominated to the extent in which they did, um, I was kind of surprised and I was kind of surprised that they allowed like those chunk plays to exist constantly throughout the game. Cam Curl was missing this this week, and I think that was a huge difference. Um, I think for what we come to know in the first two games of the season and that they averaged, the defense allowed 29 points per game in Cam Curl's absence, and the Niners scored 37 against them. Like, that kind of shows you. Um, it's not directly all, all directly related to Cam Curl, right, in terms of the points allowed. But at the same time, when you look at um, the breakdowns, right, the explosive plays, those all existed in Cam Curl's absence. There's some from here and there when Cam Curl got back, but the rate per game in which it happened, that all existed before Cam Curl came back in in the Philadelphia game. It's good to see Chase Young out there, as we mentioned earlier. Um, Here's another quote. Uh, and I'm going to play the full pressure from Chase Young because I think it's worth it. Um, it's two minutes, <clears throat> excuse me, it's two minutes long, um, but we're going to play it because I think that is very important for for everybody to hear, but also um, good from a standpoint of understanding where Chase's mind is at. Chase's mind is at. So we're going to go ahead and play that right now, and then we'll circle back. A lot of talk about you getting your confidence back. Do you feel like you got it back? You're confident. I'm on the field 100%, so. Ready to go. Chase, Ron said that you played 12 to 16 plays. You played 30. What do you kind of make of you going past that limit? And did it prove anything to you? Yeah, yeah that, was, that was my choice. You know, I felt good. And I told him before the game, I said, yeah, that's a good count, but I feel good. I'm out there. So um, I feel good about myself, man. I, coming back, it was big restless. Just feel good being out there running around with big pain and sweat and John and, you know, the guys. Did, was there a moment where it felt like I'm back. I can. I can be out here. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, there's a few plays out there, you know, just uh, getting back into it, reading screens, uh, reacting, stuff like that. So, uh, you know, I'm just trying to build off this game. What'd you say to Trent after you saw the screen and didn't run up field on it? it? Seemed like you guys had a. I said, oh, I said, y'all better start telling him come over here. 
talk my I'm gonna talk my yeah, so what about catching McCaffrey from the backside? Oh, um even that I played I wouldn't eat on the backside. It was a uh, they ran it to me. And um we ain't we ain't they, they ain't show that on film yet, so Honestly, during the play, I didn't know if I was quarterback or run, but I just sat and played it. He gave it off, and I just tried to chase him down. What did you see on the batted pass? Shit. I seen uh, my fault. <laughs> <laughs> I seen him running back. I seen him flare out. So, uh, you know, I knew I, I knew it was going to be a quick pass because he jumped me, and I knew I probably wasn't going to get there. So, I hands up. Like, I, I just sat there, and I, I waited basically for him to do it. I tried to son. Do you think this whole process been like for you? Crazy. Gotta have God. Well, if you don't have God, you messed up all year. How excited are you to have two games left to get in the playoffs and be back on the field? It's time to go. I'm fresh. My mind fresh. My legs fresh. I'm gonna be that. I'm gonna be that dog. Be this one. Hey, you heard it. Chase, hey, Chase Young, Chase Young ready to go, man. And he made a couple plays. Like, you heard it through the, the, the questions that they asked. The chase down on Christian McCaffrey, first and foremost, defended the front side of the play and then chased him down when McCaffrey tried to cut it the other way. Uh, the the def deflected screen or batted pass that went up in the air that Chase Young could have caught, but mentioned the, the sun got in his eye, essentially. Um, he couldn't find the football. Uh, there were some other plays that he did as well that was very good. And Like, when you have that confidence, and, and just knowing when you get on the field, hey, it's a go. Like, all hey, all gas, no brakes type of situation. Like, I feel I feel great. This need that I thought was an issue, all right, whatever. We good. We good, shorty. Like, that's it. So, I'm happy that Chase Young was able to get back on the field before the season was up. Like I said, my mind had changed. At one point, I said, if he misses the Giants game after the bye week, there's no point of playing him. But leading to the San Fran game, I had said, if he can step out there, right, it's all good things for Washington. Washington needs their Nick Bosa, right? <laughs> Mind you, I, I guess I should disclose this. I should have disclosed this in the very beginning that, um, I have a stuffed nose. Uh, I think it's, I think it's a, a, a allergy issue. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. I am very annoyed, but I'm trying to do this show, and I hope that my side is not disrupting your listening pleasure or whatever the word is, like your enjoyable listen or something. I don't know, but I apologize. Anyway, Washington needs their Nick Bosa, and. If Washington, like, you, you saw the impact that Nick Bosa gave. I don't even understand why there were times where Nick Bosa or Washington allowed um, themselves to block Nick Bosa one-on-one, -on -one, specifically on tight ends, too. Like, you allowed your tight ends, even your best blocking tight end, John Bates, like, to have these one-on-one -on -one, uh, situations with Nick Bosa, who you knew Nick Bosa was going to win. I think we all knew Nick Bosa was going to win those. And then, secondly... Like, people are, um, you know, upset that, you know, nobody, or let me be clear. Let me be clear. Um, Scott Turner didn't really have a plan on the edge for Nick Bosa, it seems. Like, there wasn't as many chips as it should have been. Um, there wasn't as many doubles as it should have been. 
right? And maybe Washington was was in a situation where they had to pick their po- their poison. Like if if we double if we if we double um, Nick and give Nick all the attention, the interior is going to get ate up, and we have to keep the the middle of the the middle of the pocket clean, the interior clean, so Taylor Heineke can make some good throws and make some some good reads. So maybe they had to pick their poison. Who knows? Um, but Nick Bosa dominated and took over in certain instances. Same thing on the other side with George Kittle, but that's not the point. Back to the defense. Chase Young is Washington's Nick Bosa. A lot of people had this thing in their head, like, and they were truly convinced. And, and don't think I'm I'm BSing you right now because <laughs> I lived through this looking at and responding to people on social media who truly believe that the defense playing the way they were prior to Chase Young as as much pressure as they brought and as much um sacks the interior offensive interior defensive line has created that they didn't need Chase Young. If you have a person who can win around the corner, run around the edge like Nick Bosa did in less than three seconds, then you don't have an elite player. You don't have elite potential. Montez Sweat ain't winning that quickly on the edge. And it's very far and few in between that he does that. Right? Chase Young can do that. He has the potential to do that. You need Chase Young on your team. You need Chase Young on your defense. Trading him would be a major mistake. Trading him and or or even looking the other way and saying we need to shut him down this year. That would have been a mistake. Let him get his feet underneath him. Let him feel that he can do this and get him confidence back. And then keep it pushing from here on out. So I love the fact that Chase Young was back. I love hearing his pressure, and that's why I want to play the full two minutes. That guy is geeked up to be back, man. And that's an amazing, that's an amazing feeling. I'm sure it is. I understand that you can trust your legs again um, and play above the snap count that your coaches anticipated you playing. Like that was all mental for Chase Young. It wasn't like a health thing. Like he had to get over the mental spot. And once he got over that mental spot, what he also he ultimately ended up playing like close to 30 snaps, right? From the, from a scheduled sixteen, into playing thirty, come on, like that's crazy. Um, last thing, man. Uh, last thing, last thing is playoff situation. There is nothing that's changed with the playoffs for Washington. Um, still in the seventh seed. Giants lost. Seahawks lost. Lions lost. All perfect scenarios for people who are hoping Washington made the playoffs. Um, I am in a situation where. And I've said this, I don't think I've said this on Hogs Haven. So I don't want to say this now. I will wait until we get a result of the regular season um, because it's not a positive thing to say um, in terms of like what I said before the, the Bears game. Uh, but I'll wait until that moment. But I will say this one thing um, just understanding where Washington is. Oh, two and one in the month of December so far. In the month that Ron Rivera typically finishes off strong, November, December are his strong months. You're oh, two and one, and now your record is seven, seven, one from a seven, five, and one start of the month, right? You're essentially, <laughs> you, this, this is crazy. You are essentially um, right where you started heading to that Bears game, like wondering. You know, what is the makeup of this team? Uh, what is the future moving forward? Like, all of these question marks are, are beginning to 
or or potentially beginning to rise while you're still in the playoff race, right? But starting off 0-2 and one in a in a month where you couldn't lose to the Giants at all, and you did have one loss. Um, now you're in a must-win situation where you have to beat Cleveland and you have to beat uh, Dallas. Dallas is still playing for something. Like people were hoping online that you know maybe Dak maybe resting resting and watching get in the playoffs. Is that how you want to get in? Like you're hoping that people rest. Like that's again 2020 all over again. Like they're playing reserve players. Some some teams were. That helps you get on that win streak. San Francisco included, playing Nick Mullins. Like, they were beat up. Um, is that how you want to get in the playoffs? And if that is, so so be it, right? Some people say it don't matter how you get in, you just get in. Cool. Like, I respect that take, but I don't think that you really get a true glimpse of what your team is capable of if they're not playing against some of the best players, some of the best rosters that, that a team can put out there. Some on, on their roster, right? I don't think you're doing yourself any favor because when you get to the playoffs, you're just going to ultimately face the fact that or face the music that, you know, you aren't good enough to compete with some of the Super Bowl contenders. Point being, um, now you're in a must-win situation between Cleveland, Dallas. Dallas ain't resting no players. Cleveland is still trying to prove their point with Deshaun Watson, right? They're not going to allow themselves to lose any games. Kevin Stefanski, mind you, is also in a situation where his team ain't doing good. And he's going to try and get as many wins as he can. Cause something may happen to him, so they ain't quitting. Washington is facing a gauntlet, a quote-unquote gauntlet. I'm not saying that they like they're elite teams, right? But they're about to be facing a gauntlet because the competition ain't going to be sweet with Cleveland or Dallas, and ain't no wrestling going on between those two. So you have to win out, and if you lose one of these two games, then we'll have a conversation, and I will re I will revisit. What I said in terms of um, heading into the Chicago game. So, yeah, that's that. Playoffs are still alive. Keep your heads up, everybody. Um, on to Cleveland. Uh, we'll have a deeper dive in the middle of the week about this game. Once we can, you know, take a look at everything, revisit some things, hear some coaches speak, all those things like that. So, um, yeah, man, y'all take it easy. Join your holiday. All that good stuff. Peace.